Our sermon text today is contained in John's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. This is God's word. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Thank you, Bob, and good morning again to everybody. Uh, glad you're here with us today on this last Sunday of the year. It's also the last Sunday of our, of our series we've been doing all throughout uh, the month of December for the Christmas season. Uh, we've been looking in John's gospel at the seven what are called I am statements of Jesus. Uh, seven different times in the gospel of John, Jesus says, I am, and then he gives usually some picture from the Old Testament of what he came into the world to do. This morning it's I am the true vine. Uh, the reason why we've been going through this is we want to see not just that Jesus was born at Christmas and how he was born, but we want to see why he was born. Why did Jesus come into the world? What's he trying to do in the world? What's he trying to do in your life and my life? Uh, well, this morning we see something very, very important. When he says, I am the true vine, he's trying to dispel a very common misunderstanding about why he came into the world. A very common misunderstanding. A lot of times we think, both back, back in when Jesus was speaking and today, that Jesus came into the world simply to decide where you and I go when we die. And that's it. Jesus came to switch us from eternal punishment to eternal life. And that, and that is it, period. He did nothing else when he came into this world. And yet the imagery of the vine and the branches that Jesus is trying to show us here, the, the picture of a vine in the branch receiving ongoing nourishment so that it might bear fruit works against that idea. Jesus did not just come into the world so that we would one day go to heaven when we die. Jesus came into the world so that we would live differently, that we would live new lives before we die. That's what Jesus is getting at when he says, I am the true vine. There's a great Christmas song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, that has a wonderful line in it to explain this. If you're familiar with the song, it says, uh, Jesus, enter in, cast out our sin, and be born in us today. Do you hear the two parts of that? Jesus, enter into my life. Cast out my sin. That's the help me go to heaven when I die part. Forgive me of my sin. Make me right with God so that I could get into your presence one day where I don't deserve to be, but because of your death on the cross, now I can be there. That's that part. But notice the second part. Be born in us today. There's this wonderful thing about Jesus that not only was he born into the world 2,000 years ago, but he was born into the world 2,000 years ago. He died and rose again so that he could be born in the hearts of every single person who believes in him. Jesus is alive in his people. 
And the life of Jesus inside his people gives life to them. It changes how they live every single day. And so on the night here in in, uh, John 15, this is the night before Jesus is crucified. Just hours before he's going to be betrayed and turned over to the, the governor and put to death on the cross. He says to his disciples, I'm the true vine. He's trying to help them understand what their ongoing relationship with him is going to be like. Now, before we jump into exactly what he means by this, we, we've really got to notice a couple of things right off the top of the, right off the bat. The first thing is this, Jesus is not just making up this vine and branch business. This is something that was going on way back into the Old Testament. You, you may not be familiar with it. It's one of the lesser known themes of the Bible, but there's a vine and vineyard and wine theme that runs all throughout the Bible. And it's basically like this, God is the gardener, And God's goal with the world that he made, the world that he owns, is that right in the middle of his world, he would have a people, a vineyard, that would bear fruit to the glory of his name and fill the whole world that he made with fruit. After all, when you think about when God made human beings, what did he say to them? What did he say? I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to fill the earth and subdue it. And so all throughout the Old Testament, God calls his people, Israel, he calls them, you are my vine and you are my vineyard. But there's only one problem, and it's a really big problem, even though there's one of them. And that is that Israel consistently failed to bear the fruit that God called them to bear. You see, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, and I encourage you to read the Old Testament as well as the New. It's got so much of the, the history and context of God working to prepare the way for Jesus' birth. In the Old Testament, Israel, they're way too much like me and you. They're way too fickle. They're way too full of sin. And so over and over again, instead of putting out the fruit that God called them to put out, they put out poisonous fruit. They put out diseased fruit. And so the story of the Bible goes, you can read about this in in Psalm 80 and in Isaiah 5 and in Isaiah 27. The fruit of the vine was poisonous. And so God plucked Israel out of the land, brought them back into the land after the exile. But even then they weren't able to put forth the fruit until, until the baby was born in Bethlehem. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's saying, I am the great vine. I'm the one that God had designed from the very beginning. I am the one true human being who has done everything that God designed human beings to do. Like Bill prayed earlier, I am altogether lovely. Everything I did towards God was with a perfect heart of loving obedience, just like all of us were made to be. Everything I did towards my neighbor was a heart of, of, of loving service towards them, putting them ahead of myself, which is what all, we were all made to be. And so in our fruitlessness, Jesus comes to share his fruitfulness. That's a story that runs all throughout the Bible. Now, why is he telling the disciples this on the night before he's betrayed, the night before he's killed? Because I think just within hours, these disciples are going to be filled with all kinds of questions, doubts, and fears. The one they had followed for three years, the one they had given their entire lives to, many of them had quit their jobs, many of them had temporarily left their families behind for Jesus, and then they're going to get to see him crucified and buried into the dirt. They're going to wonder, what in the world is my life about now? I wasn't very good with him here. (laughs) They're going to think if they're smart. 
I didn't do very well when he was right by my side. How am I going to do well when he's not physically present with me? And what Jesus is saying to his disciples is that very simple. And it's something that's really important for us because, of course, we've never known Jesus physically present. Jesus' lesson is this. Just because I'm physically absent does not mean I'm actually absent from you. In fact, my physical absence, which is coming with my death and resurrection, is actually going to become a greater presence in you and in everyone who believes. Because not only am I going to be with you, I'm going to be in you. Not only are you going to be with me side by side, but you're going to actually be in me like a branch is in the vine. And so Jesus says to his disciples, here's what you got to do. You got to learn how to remain in me. Do you see that word in the passage this morning? It comes up several times. Remain in me as I remain in you continually learn how to remain in me. And if you do, you'll bear fruit. If you don't, you won't bear fruit the way you're supposed to bear. What does it mean to remain in Jesus? That's the big question this morning. And I think if we look at the passage, Jesus uh, answers five little questions to help us get to that big question. Jesus gives us five things about remaining in him. If you look at your worship bulletin, that's what we want to talk through this morning. Uh, First of all, he tells us what it means to remain in him. Then he tells us what happens when we don't remain in him. Then he tells us how we can remain in him. And finally, he tells us what happens when we do. Those are four things. And don't worry, just because there's four doesn't, gonna, doesn't mean it's going to be a longer sermon uh, than the usual three. All right, so first of all, uh, what does it mean to remain in Jesus? Well, Jesus is clearly, in the, in the first four verses there, trying to describe just how close and how powerful the ongoing relationship that he has with his people is going to be. He's trying to describe how close and powerful that relationship is. You see, there are many different kinds of relationships that we have. Isn't that right? And so for Jesus to just say, hey, guys, don't worry. I'm going to go away, but you're still going to have a relationship with me. That's too generic. They're going to be left with too many questions. After all, we have a relationship with the person that checks us out at the grocery store, right? It's a fleeting relationship, very, very quick. It's not very deep, but it's a relationship. We've got relationships with acquaintances and Facebook friends, but we also have relationships with friends who have been with us for decades and with siblings and parents and kids and spouses. All those relationships, aren't they so very different in terms of their permanence? You know, some of them last longer than others and in terms of the depth of how much we share one with the other. Well, Jesus is saying, I want you to hear me out. Jesus is saying, my relationship with you is the closest, most permanent relationship you could possibly imagine. It's like the branch that's attached to the vine. That's how close it is. Look at what he says in verses 1 to 4. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean. Because of the word I've spoken to you, remain in me as I also remain in you. Do you hear that closeness language? No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This is the nearest, closest relationship that you could possibly imagine. When a branch is on a vine, when a tree is on a root, everything that that tree has comes from the root. Everything the branch has comes from the vine. Isn't that right? And, and in the other way, is true too. Everything that the vine has is given out to the branch. Everything the root has is given out to the tree. 
Jesus is saying, your relationship with me as a believer going forward is not going to get less close when I go back to my Father. It's going to get more close. Every single person who believes in me, all that I have is now going to be shared with you completely. Just like a, a vine shares everything it has with the branch. And everything that you receive is going to be received only from me as your one true source of life. Do you see what Jesus is saying? There is a nearness. And so remaining, this idea of you've got to remain in me as I remain in you, is about being a good branch. Do you know how to be a good branch? Do you know how to be a good tree? You see, a branch on a vine, a tree on a root, doesn't pretend like they have life in themselves. That's how a good branch is a good branch. They don't pretend that they can do it on their own apart from the vine. No, instead, they learn how to take and receive every good thing from the hand of where they are grafted into, from the hand of the root, from the hand of the vine. And so to be a good, to, be, to have faith in Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus, the very reason he was born into the world on the first Christmas was that you and I would learn how to daily live by faith, which means daily drawing all of our nourishment from Jesus. One writer says it this way, living by faith is to live in such a way that Jesus becomes everything to you. Living in such a way that Jesus becomes everything to you. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples. Going forward, here's how you got to live. You got to learn that everything you have comes from me. And you got to learn how to, by faith, draw it out of me. You've got to learn how to cast your cares and burdens onto me. To know that I'm the one who's carried your great burdens away. And you've got to then turn and take from me all that you need. What does that mean then to remain? That means we got to learn, y'all, to love Jesus more than we love anything else. You know, the fact is... There are so many things in our lives that we try to treat. If you're like me, there are so many things in our lives that we try to treat like vines other than Jesus. Isn't that right? So many other things that we try to draw our nourishment from, to draw our life from. We think, if I could just be beautiful enough, or handsome enough, or fit enough, or if I could just have enough money, or if I could just have the right status and, and reputation among other people, then that's when my life's really going to mean something. That's when my life's really going to be fruitful. And Jesus is saying, no, what it means to remain in me is learning to say, okay, all those things, if you got them, are gifts, all those things. But none of those things is the true vine. We got to learn how to love Jesus more than we love anything else. It also means we got to learn how to submit to Jesus and his agenda rather than our own. And rather than the agenda of other people, the branch that remains in the vine is one that says, not, Jesus, here's what I want you to do, now go help me do it. The branch that remains in the vine says, Jesus, every good that I have is yours anyway. And so, Jesus, what is your agenda for my life? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? Total submission. Lastly, remaining in Jesus means we've got to delight in Jesus more than we delight in anything. That doesn't mean we don't delight in family and food and jobs and all the things that we have in life. All those things are blessings, but abiding in the vine means delighting in those things because we have a greater delight, because we delight in Jesus. We learn to see every single blessing in life, again, as not something that came to us by our own hard work or by our own common sense or education, but everything comes to us passing through the vine Jesus into our, our lives by his sheer grace. 
That's the first thing Jesus says there in verses 1 to 4. He says, here's what it means to remain in me. It means that apart from me, you can do nothing. Notice the end of verse 4. You, can, you cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. Everything you have comes from me. But by the same, on the flip side of that coin is so important. Everything I have is given to you. This is the good news of Christmas right here in a nutshell. Not just that Jesus was born for you so that he could die for you. That's great news. The news that settles everybody's eternal destiny. I mean, it determines whether you go to heaven or hell, whether you believe in Christ or whether you do not. That's huge. That's not the only thing. If that were the only thing, Jesus would be born and immediately he would go right to the cross. He would be born and immediately he would be sacrificed. But instead, what you find is 33 years of beautiful, fruitful living from Jesus. 33 years of the best human life you could ever imagine. All together lovely. Why did he do that? Y'all, Jesus lived for you as well as died for you. He lived for you. He lived through every stage of life. Why? So that he could share his fruitfulness with unfruitful people like me and like you. So that he could fill our lives with what is true life. That's what it means to remain in him. To treat Jesus like he's everything. To draw all your nourishment from him. Secondly today, Jesus there in verses 5 through 6, 5 and 6, helps us understand what happens when we don't remain in him. When someone doesn't learn how to live like Jesus is everything, what happens? Well, Jesus tells us. Look at what it says. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do some things. Is that what it says? Apart from me, you can get a little bit of good done, right? No. What does it say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. The picture here is of a, of a tree that gets disconnected from its root system of a branch that gets cut off from the grapevine. What happens to that branch? It falls on the ground, and immediately it begins to die. It begins to wither. Is that branch going to bear fruit? Not unless it's a magic branch. (laughs) There's no other way that it's going to, because it's not connected to the life source. Jesus says in our lives, the the less we treat Jesus like he's everything to us, the more prone we're going to be to spiritual dryness the more prone we're going to be to spiritual darkness and death and apathy in our lives. The more we learn how to draw everything from Jesus and to consciously know that Jesus is my life and my everything, all things come to me through his hands, the more vibrant and living and and luxuriant our spiritual life is going to be prone to be. Now, that doesn't mean that there are not times where those who are truly trusting in Jesus aren't going to also walk through darkness and walk through dry times. Sometimes God sends those for no apparent reason. I think it's a part of what Jesus is describing in verse 2 of chapter 15, where it says that the Father, who is the gardener, prunes, he prunes the vines that bear fruit so that they might bear more fruit. Now, I don't know about you, but pruning, when it's done to me, doesn't sound very pleasant, right? Pruning, when it's done to me, doesn't sound very pleasant. So there are things in our lives, there are times 
where you know, the, the, the math doesn't seem to add up. I've done everything God's called me to do, to do, and yet still I'm walking in darkness. Yet still I'm walking through a season of dryness. Jesus is teaching. We ought to see those as occasions where God might be disciplining us so that we might become more fruitful. He might be pruning us. He might be using that to teach us how to rely more and more on him. But the ordinary way things go is when you and I learn to draw everything we have from Jesus, our spiritual lives are going to be full. When we don't, they're going to begin to wither. A great way to understand this is by thinking about a phrase that's used later in the New Testament. There it says that there are some people who have a form of godliness, but they don't have the power of godliness. Maybe you're familiar with that phrase. It's in one of Paul's letters. They have a form of godliness, but not the power of it. In other words, they have an outward appearance of religion, but they don't have the life-changing power of Jesus living inside the heart. That's what Jesus is saying is going to happen. If someone doesn't learn how to live by faith, if someone doesn't learn how to day by day draw all the nourishment that they need from Jesus, what's going to happen is you might grow an outside crust of faith that everybody looks at and says, oh, that's a very spiritual religious person. But inside there's just dryness, there's death, there's decay, there's rottenness. There's the form, but there's not the life transforming power. Here are some warning signs for this. And I I think all of us at different times can identify with these warning signs. One warning sign is you're growing a lot in knowledge, but not a lot in love. Dry spirituality, withered spirituality, a relationship with God that's form but not power, grows a lot in knowledge, but not a lot in love. You're going to Bible studies, you're learning, you may be even become, you may be becoming proud of all that you know. You know more than the guy next to you or the girl next to you. But the love for God and the love for others is not growing in pace with the knowledge. That's a dry spirituality. That's a sign that you you need to learn how to remain in the vine. It happens to all of us, but we all need to remain in the vine. The second uh, warning sign is we're very emotionally moved spiritually. And maybe often very moved emotionally by God, but we're not submissive to God. Right? We come to church and we get goosebumps. We listen to Joy FM and cry, right? When our favorite worship song comes on, we're very moved emotionally. But when it comes to actually making decisions, are we going to obey God or not? Oh, we're going to obey ourselves. Emotionally moved, but not submissive. That's dry spirituality. That's form, but no power. That's a withered branch. We're all prone to it, every single one of us. And so the solution is learning how to remain daily in Jesus. The third warning sign is this. You might be very active in faith. That is, you're doing a lot of things for God, but you're doing them without a lot of joy. You're doing them just because, well, I've got to. God might zap me. God won't give me what I want if I don't give him what he wants. You're in some kind of business transaction with God. That's dry, withered spirituality. Again, every single one of us is prone to it. The only solution, according to Jesus, is learning how to remain in me. That's what happens when we don't remain in him. Now, thirdly, I want you to look at the third thing this morning. Very important. How do we learn how to remain in Jesus? That's, after all, I think the really big lesson that Jesus wants his disciples to walk away with, and and us too. And you can find the answer there just in verse 7. Look at verse 7. How do we remain in Jesus? Jesus says it very simply. 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Here, Jesus is describing what a daily practice of remaining in Jesus looks like both on the inside and on the outside. He's describing what a daily practice of remaining in him looks like on the inside, on the outside. The first main ingredient he says it takes is you've got to learn how to listen to my word. Jesus points his disciples to the treasure trove that is the word that he gave them. Now, this is going to be really important for them. Remember, they're sitting here for one of the last times in their lives listening to Jesus teach. But they've been hearing Jesus teach for years. They've heard all kinds of things that Jesus is saying. And what Jesus is now teaching them is, I'm going to go away. You're not going to hear my voice anymore, but my words are still going to remain in you. In fact, in the next chapter, in chapter 16 of John, he goes on to say, this is an amazing statement. He says, I'm going away to my father and it's better for you if I go away. It's better for you if I go away. And I think all the disciples are thinking, what? How could it be better for you to be physically absent than it is for you to be physically present? And the simple answer that Jesus gives is this. Because when I go away, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. And the Spirit is the Spirit of all truth. He's going to remind you of every word I've spoken. And He's going to cause that word not only to be heard in your ears, He's going to cause that word to be written on your heart. He's going to take my words and He's going to make them a part of you. And so that's why it says there, If my words remain in you, if my words abide in you, if they live in you, Notice how he's describing his word like it's a living person who moves into the house of your life. And instead of just being an occasional guest in your life, his word by the Holy Spirit becomes a permanent resident. In fact, becomes the master of your life, the master of the house, the owner of the house, who gets to speak with authority and and with refreshing clarity in a world of darkness. That's what Jesus is saying is about to happen. My spirit is going to come. And and as you come to my word daily, as you learn how to remember, and and now we get to read it because they wrote it all down. We get to read the words of Jesus, the words of God in the Bible. And the Holy Spirit takes those words and he brings them and makes them come alive. He brings them into us like a living person, taking up residence in us, beginning to shape and direct how we live, building up our faith. I think that's why it says, by the way, if my words remain in you and you remain in me, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I don't believe Jesus is saying to his disciples or to us, hey, blank check, whatever you want, Cadillac, Corvette, Lamborghini, Health and wealth, prosperity, whatever you want, ask it and it'll be given if you ask in the right way and you ask with the right amount of faith. He's not saying that. No. Remember, Jesus is the king of the universe. He doesn't need your wish list to shape his agenda. He's already got an agenda. (laughs) He's got an agenda for the world and he's got an agenda for your life. What Jesus is saying here, I believe, is much more profound than that. It's something that you see in one of the Psalms where it says, If you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. What Jesus is saying is incredible. He's saying the Holy Spirit is going to take the word and he's going to make it such a living part of your life that your heart is going to actually begin to think what God's word says. You're going to begin to want what God wants. 
You're going to begin to hate what God hates. You're going to begin to desire and wish for and plan for all the things that God has desired for, wished for, and planned for. And so when you pray, you're not just going to pray, you know, randomly based on your own very changeable desires, humanly speaking, here and there and everywhere. You're going to start to pray based on that new heart that God gives you built on the foundation of the Word. And so when you pray, God's going to shower the blessings that he's already appointed for your life. He's going to shower them upon you so that you can know that God really is at work in your life. It's something way more profound than just name it, claim it. This is God comes in by his word and he begins to become the master of your life. So that everything about you, what you feel, what you think, what you want, what you choose and desire begins to change according to his image. You begin begin to become in baby steps, but you begin to become like Jesus who wanted nothing more than to please his father. And when you begin to want, when you begin to become like Jesus, wanting the father's glory, it says, whatever you ask, God's going to give it to you because you're asking in accordance with the very heart of God himself. You see what Jesus is saying? The way that you remain in me is you come to my word And you come to my word asking for the Holy Spirit and the Spirit comes and he takes that word and he changes it from being just a guest in your life to being a permanent resident who has authoritative power in your life. And when that happens, you're going to know that you're in a relationship with God because your prayer life is going to be synced up like never before. You're going to know what God wants in your life. You're going to know God's will because you're walking step by step with him. Isn't that a wonderful thing to shoot for? Now, I think all of us have to imagine and all of us have to admit we're a long way away from that. I mean, all, again, baby steps at a time. None of us are perfectly there. But what Jesus is saying in verse 7 is a wonderful thing to shoot for. It's the way of life of every Christian. What that means, of course, is you've got to read the Bible, y'all. It's as simple as that. You've got to read it. You've got to listen to it. That's one of the things that's so important about coming to church. Is church really is all about the Bible taking life in community. It's it's about participating in the Bible and not just reading it alone by yourself. It's about joining the story. It's all about the scriptures because there God has given us his life, his word. His Holy Spirit always works with the word, taking that word and writing it on our hearts. It's, It's the way of discipleship. It's the way of remaining in Jesus. And yet, I know if you're like me, so often, isn't it true, God's word is more like a a guest in my house than the owner of my house. Many of y'all probably had guests over at your house for Christmas. How do you feel when a guest comes in and starts giving you orders about things you should do about the house? You ought to take that picture down, right? How do you feel about that? You ought to move the TV, You ought to turn the air off. You ought to turn the fan off. How do you feel about a guest like that? Do you have any guests like that? You don't have to raise your hand. But they're they're, they're out there, right? I mean, all of us bristle with that, right? We think, what in the world? You're a guest. This is my house. You're here really just to receive hospitality. You're not an owner just because you're a guest. And yet, isn't it true that sometimes God's word comes in like a guest? And we think it's only there just for a few nice thoughts to get the day started. A little inspiration to go help me be all I want to be rather than the word of God moving in and becoming the master where Jesus can say what's behind that door and we can't say oh oh Jesus you're just a guest that's my bedroom you can't go in there no 
when Jesus says, what's behind that door? If his word is really at home in our hearts, if it's really abiding in us and remaining in us, we have no choice but to say, be my guest, be my owner, be my master, go in and look and see, change the things in me that I don't even want you to change yet. Do the things in my life, Jesus, that I don't even know to ask you to do because I don't even have enough sense to know what needs to be done. Come and and take control. Let your word rule. That's what it means. That's how you learn how to remain in Jesus. You got to have you got to have the word every day and you've got to have it in a place of authority rather than just an occasional guest dropping by for a little glass of tea or something like that. Now, fourthly and lastly today, Jesus explains what happens when his disciples remain in him. What, what happens? This is really powerful there in verse 8. If it was true that when you don't remain in Jesus, you become a branch cut off from the vine that falls to the ground and withers and doesn't bear fruit and so therefore is not good for anything and so gets thrown away uh, into the fire, then what happens when you stay closely connected, drawing all your nourishment from Jesus? Jesus says this, you become the most luxuriant, fruit-bearing vine that you can possibly imagine. Because remember, it doesn't depend on you to give yourself life. It depends on the life that I give you. When you remain in me, when you remain in Jesus, the, the ceiling of how great your life can become in God is not, is not set on the basis of your abilities. The, the potential that you have spiritually to be what God is calling you to be is not set by your limitations. It's set on the basis of Jesus' abundant supply. And remember, Jesus is the vine. He is the one who has borne fruit. In fact, the only one in human history who ever lived a perfectly fruitful life. And he says, I did it all for you, and I'm, I'm prepared. If you'll learn how to live by faith, I'm prepared to give it all to you. And what that's going to do is that's going to begin to make your life a fruitful vine, just like I am. It's going to begin to bear fruit in you. It's going to give you certain vital signs. I mean, if you've got a, a plant or a tree in your yard that doesn't sprout, it doesn't blossom, it doesn't bear fruit, what do you think? You know something's wrong with it, right? Something's not right. If it blossoms, if it bears fruit, if it sprouts, you know it's exactly the way it's supposed to be. You, you, you know on the basis of the vital signs. It's the same thing with our physical life. As soon as you go to the doctor, as soon as you go to the hospital, what do they do? They check your vital signs. Three or four things that everybody's got to have to live. And they've got to be working well in order to live healthy. They check those things. Jesus there in verse 8 actually lists out, I think, three very important vital signs. Three ways that you know that you're remaining in him because these are the three things that remaining in him produces in our lives. Look at what he says. This is to my father's glory that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is to my father's glory that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. There are three, three fruits, if you will, that are produced by remaining in Jesus. The first one is this. Your life gets a new goal. Your life gets a new goal. Jesus says very simply there in verse 8, this is to my Father's glory. That was always the goal of Jesus' life. That's why he was so fruitful. Jesus never had a moment where he slipped out of for my Father's glory and slipped into for my own benefit. He never had a moment like that. And yet, isn't it true? My whole life has been that. 
My whole life has been my own benefit rather than God's benefit. But what Jesus says is when we believe in him, when we get grafted into him and begin to draw our nourishment from him, it changes us baby steps at a time. It changes us from being self-absorbed, all about me, to being somebody who wants to live for the glory of God in heaven. Somebody who wants more than anything else for the name of our Father to be lifted up. It takes me out of self-centeredness and into God-centeredness. Jesus says, that's one way that you know you're remaining in me. It's one of the fruits that automatically gets produced. It was the chief fruit of my life. It's what I did every single day. And so therefore, you can't say, you, you cannot claim to be living like me if you also aren't beginning to become a person who says, this is to my Father's glory. Whether you're at home, whether you're at church, whether you're at work, whether you're at school, whether you're with friends, whether you're with enemies, whatever life circumstance you have, this is to my Father's glory becomes like the banner over your life. It's a new goal. The second thing he says there is that your life gets a new style. You get a new lifestyle. Notice what he says. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. See, finally, there's fruitfulness in my life. Before Christ, without believing in him, disconnected with him and not drawing everything from him, my life is really just consumeristic. That's the human being under the influence of sin. It's about what can I get? What can I consume? What can I enjoy? What can I have for my possession? Rather than what can I give? What can I share? What can I produce? How can I bless? That's what fruit really is, right? I mean, the vine does not bear fruit for itself. Isn't that right? The, the, the branch does not drink its own wine. It doesn't eat its own grapes. The branch is there to bear fruit for the benefit of the gardener, for the benefit of others. And so Jesus is saying, look, you are now going to become people who bear not just a little fruit, but much fruit. You're going to become a people who are not just consumers taking all the time which is what a dead branch does. It takes in the rain, it takes in the sunshine, but it gives nothing out. You're going to become a a branch that brings in everything I give you and yet produces out the most glorious fruits. Fruits not for yourself, but fruits for others. It's a new lifestyle. It's learning how to see every situation in life not as a way to think, how can I get something out of this? It's not coming to relationships saying, okay, what's my benefit from this relationship? It's coming to situations and relationships thinking, what can I give? What can I share? How can I take something of what Christ has given me and then turn around and share it with others? And then the last thing Jesus says there is he gives us a new proven identity. He gives us a new proven identity. This is to my Father's glory that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples, proving that you are my disciples. See, the fruit on the vine showed that it was, on the branch, showed that it was connected to the vine. And so the fruit in our lives shows that we really are remaining in Jesus. Now, you've got to ask the question, though, who is it showing? When it says, showing yourselves to be my disciples, who's it talking about? I don't think it's talking about God, right? It's not saying, when you do this, finally God will know you're his disciple. God already knows, right, who his are and aren't, right? God doesn't need our fruit to prove whether, you know, we're his disciple or not to him. I think Jesus is saying this proves it to ourselves and to others for very specific reasons. When fruit is born in your life, 
when fruit is born in your life, what it can do for you is it it actually begins to become an encouraging thing to you, encouraging your heart to know, I really am a child of God because look at how God is at work in me. I think many people, many people, and you may be one of them, struggle with assurance. Am I really, do I really belong to God? Am I really a Christian? Is he really my father? Does he really love me? The only way to solve that, according to this passage, is to learn how to remain in Jesus, remain in Jesus, remain in Jesus. One of the the side effects of remaining in Jesus is the fruit that he's going to produce in your life. And when he produces it, you're going to get to step back and see amazingly what God is able to do even through you. And each, each piece of fruit that he bears, each, each piece of love, joy, peace, patience, self-control that he bears in this sinful, wrecked-up heart, each piece becomes another evidence saying, yes, Stan, see, see, you are my child. See, I am at work in you. I have not abandoned you. I'm still going on with you. You see, it, it gives us assurance ourselves that we're disciples, but it also gives assurance to others. Because, of course, the, the constant problem, the constant problem, is that people want to claim to be, belong to Jesus, but not really show the evidence of it. It's a real problem in, in, in society, isn't it? It's a real problem in the world. The church is full of hypocrites, they say. And that's absolutely true. It is. But Jesus is saying, though hypocrisy is common to us all, and that we're all prone to it, It does not have to always be that way. If you remain in me, you can actually show that you're my disciple to others. This is so important. Jesus calls us not to just say, hey, Jesus is good news. Y'all ought to listen to him. Jesus sends us into the world to show the world, to show by our lives, Jesus is good news that they ought to listen to. For if the lives of those people... If the lives of those people can be changed, then my life can be changed too, maybe. I need to get to Jesus and figure out what's going on with Jesus. Do you see? Showing and displaying. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 5. Let your light shine before others. So that when they see your good works, the fruit of your life abiding in me, when they see your good works, they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do you see it? Jesus is telling his disciples and he's telling us the reason I was born into this world is not simply just so that you could know that one day when you die, you're going to go to heaven. That's huge. And I, want, I don't want to minimize that. You really need to know what, where you're going to go when you die. You do. And that does affect how you live. But Jesus is saying, I was born into this world to take up residence in your life now. I care about how you live before you die. I have a plan for your life now. I'm prepared to move in. I've got my word and I'm bringing my spirit over. And we're not just going to be guests. We're here to stay. And when we stay, amazing things happen. I don't think the first disciples, when they heard these words, had any idea what they would accomplish with Jesus when he said these things to them. They were confused. They were scared. They doubted. They were full of doubt and fear. And yet those 12 guys, fishermen mostly, had no real, you know, no official education to speak of. 
those 12 guys ended up going into the world and changing the world. They later said, these men turned the world upside down. Why did they, how did they do that? How? They were just branches. Branches that had withered on their own, but were then grafted into Christ to receive his life-giving sap all through their veins. May it be true to us today as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, thank you that as we close down one year in the next few days and begin another, uh, this is a good time for us, Lord, I think, to think about words like this. And so, God, I pray that these words would be on the hearts of those here today, that we would not forget about these things, that we would remember what it means to remain in you, and that we would really seek to, to, to build daily habits Habits in our lives that, that produce that, that heart of remaining and abiding in Jesus. Father, I know I need it today. I want to be the first one in this room to say, I need fresh habits, new ways of remaining in 2020. So, Father, would you please pour out your spirit today and show us your way. Lord, give us the ability to treat you like you're everything. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.